Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today is Pentecost, and we hear from the Reverend Phil Burchard as he preaches from the lectionary, which is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. There's a little bit of an audio glitch at the very beginning, but hold on for one second and it gets better. As always, you can find more information about All Souls or sermons by All Soulsians on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. For a long time, I did not know that the Episcopal Church was a historically ethnic church. I associated ethnic churches with, well, churches that had another country in their name, like German Lutherans or Swedish Lutherans. I've now come to learn that the differences between those two experiences of Christianity are significant. Um, but actually in ways that I don't understand. I I thought of historically ethnic churches as the Greek Orthodox or the Russian Orthodox churches or people with a particular experience within a church like Irish Catholics or Filipino Catholics. For decades, I did not perceive an ethnic identifier with the Episcopal Church. Like others, I mostly identified the Episcopal Church and its origins by its structure. We are one of the few churches that was named for a characteristic on how we organize by bishops. So for years, I believed this, that we were not a historically ethnic church, and I can't quite pinpoint the day when that changed. It was more like there were more and more cracks in the glass that had started to show. I started to become more aware of our hymnody, how it describes that the end goal of the Christian life to be tranquil and fair or the ways we worship the written word. We have a book of common prayer where every word that we pray is written down and where even the punctuation is fought over. (laughs) Literacy and a high level of literacy can feel essential to our tradition. And then I noticed our preferred methods of conflict, that they were direct and restrained. That is, in the Episcopal Church, you are supposed to say what you mean and mean what you say, but to do it in an emotionally restrained way. (laughs) Careful to not become too emotive, lest you should lose control. (laughs) Lastly, and there are many reasons behind this, but after almost 440 years of being on this continent, as this nation has become increasingly ethnically diverse, the Episcopal Church continues to be a predominantly white church. The reality is that the Episcopal Church is, in fact, a historically ethnic church, in that we were started as and have maintained many of the practices, priorities, and patterns of the angles. You can hear that in the traces 
of the name of the communion of which we are a part, the Anglican communion. Okay, fine, you might say. We are a historically ethnic Anglo or English church. What difference does that make? Why does it matter? Well, here I believe is the rub. For much of our existence as part of this American experiment, and we've been around as long as the experiment has, we have largely bought into the American belief that unity is to be found as difference is diminished. So far as I can tell, for much of our common life in the Episcopal Church, we have hoped for unity, but have lived by uniformity. And uniformity is not a Christian virtue. Let's talk about that uniformity, and then we can explore what unity might be. A dominant force in American history has been the belief that in order to be accepted and to be trusted, we all have to be the same. And not just any kind of same, but to look and to act like the first voyagers who set up colonies in this part of the world, the Angles, the English. This became evident in the ways that we set up our laws, say, who could become citizens, a conflict that has run through our body politic all the way to this day. This pull was seen in a very small way in my own family when my immigrant great-great-grandfather was not so affectionately nicknamed Herman the German by his neighbors. He was largely seen as different, as other. It was difficult for him to speak English. He ate what they thought were strange foods. For many white Americans, and if history is our guide, many Episcopalians, he was not seen as one of us. However, because of the way that racial constructs work in the United States, within one generation, as long as his descendants acted and spoke and ate and believed like much of Anglo-Saxon America, they were okay. They were part of the Union. In dominant U.S. culture, we tend to get nervous when people act differently than we do. Because our predominant understanding of unity has actually often been really uniformity. In order for us to be together, we have to think and talk and act the same. And I'll be clear here, I don't mean to say that this doesn't happen in other cultures, because it does, but it works out in a very particular way, with devastating effects here in this country and in our Episcopal Church. And like many aspects of culture, it takes place underneath the waterline in ways that we don't often see clearly but we feel their effects. 
Again, I recognize this impulse to be part of the human condition. But our texts set aside for today from these earliest Christian communities show us a different way of being. Because both in this wild story from the Acts of the Apostles and in this early letter of Paul to the Christians in Corinth, we witness a transformative kind of unity. One in which our differences don't disappear when we belong to one another. In the story from Acts, the Jesus followers are gathered together. They're praying, they're singing, and then they have this experience of being overwhelmed by sounds and by visions, and they began speaking in other languages. And our text tells us that there were Jews from all over the known world there that day in Jerusalem, gathered for the holy day of Pentecost. And no matter where they were from, no matter how far flung, somehow they could understand these Jesus followers from the Galilee. Can you imagine being in a foreign land? And out of nowhere, hearing your native tongue spoken clearly, clearly, the language that you dream in, Knowing in a visceral way in that moment that God's deeds of power are meant for you. That you can belong to God without losing who you are. And then we hear from Paul. In this early letter about how to live together as Christ followers. And he makes it clear that God gives all kinds of gifts of the Spirit. Many of them you can see written in the space around us today. Not everybody receives the same gift. There are going to be differences and that is a good thing. In God's economy, we need the things that are different. It is a feature, not a bug. And Paul also teaches that each of the different gifts, these manifestations that come from the one same spirit, are not for our own purposes alone, but are fundamentally given for the common good. You see, Christian unity from the beginning, is evidenced in a commonality that shows up in the particular, where difference itself is a revelation from God. Over the years, I've struggled with how to engage the story from Acts because it can be so easy to experience it as a a form of nostalgia, you know, the birthday of the church, and we have a nice story, and we have this warm feeling, but without any of the chaos or messiness. We also experience it as this one-time event, but biblical scholars remind us that Pentecost, 
This transformative movement of the Spirit was a recurring experience throughout the book of Acts, not a one-time event. Over and again, in the Acts of the Apostles, the Spirit keeps bringing disparate people together with purpose. So friends, the emergence of unity through the gift of the Spirit is a reality that we, ourselves, are supposed to be waiting for, hoping for, praying for. Because it's a truth of the Christian way that we, ourselves, are meant to be living into. And we'll know it's a Pentecost experience when we find a new way of belonging to one another and to God. And we'll find ourselves changed and still fully ourselves. Friends, in a time of heightened fracture and division, I find this to be kind of challenging and exhilarating. Because it will be amidst our differences that we will come to know the common good. And that we will find our communion that we long for together. And the varied tongues and gifts that we each have been given.